to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. The subject and the title of my sermon this evening is that of zeal. What is biblical zeal? What does it look like in the Christian's life? What does it look like gathered together with the church? And what does it look like across churches, across the nation, and across the world? What is zeal? Well, in John chapter 2, we find the scene set for us with Jesus in the temple. And Jesus is in the temple. And we find a scene a scene that would, we would rarely see, but yet it is there. And we have to deal with how to harmonize this scene with the rest of the Gospel of Matthew and the rest of the Scriptures. What does this incident here in the temple tell us about Jesus' character? What does it tell us about His divine nature and His love for God? So look at chapter 2 and verse 13. John 2, starting in verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. <clears throat> when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money, and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So we find this incident, and that's all the verses we'll read from that particular incident, this incident of zeal. One example of many that is given to us in the scriptures of the biblical definition of zeal. So what is zeal? Zeal is a passion to know God and to love Him with our whole heart and our whole lives. Passion to know God and love Him with our lives. It is a burning desire to worship the Lord in righteousness. And it is also an enduring, faithful quality to our spiritual life. An enduring, faithful constancy and dependability that a Christian shows. That is zeal. Now let me give you a few qualifiers on that. One, it's important to note that zeal has emotional aspects wrapped up into it but it is not simply an emotion. It should be considered as a way of life, a way that we live and worship God. It's part of our worship, or at least it should be. The second thing to note is that zeal does not mean thoughtless action. Zeal is not simply flying off the handle in, in outrage at something. Zeal requires thought. But oftentimes, 
if we know our Bibles and we know how to think about things, that thought can happen very fast. So someone may show zeal very fast, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's only an emotional response. It could be a very thorough biblical response. And Jesus shows this here. Notice the verse 15. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. So he had taken the time to make a whip out of cords. Could you imagine Jesus standing over to the side, if you will, if you'll give me that preacher's liberty, and watching everything going on there in his father's house and being filled with zeal to see righteousness done in his father's house. And he weaves slowly, methodically, this whip of cords. And he knows what he will do with it. The disciples may have been puzzled. Why is he making a whip out of cords? And I suspect if we were there, we may have been in the same situation. We may have been puzzled too. What's he doing? Standing there off to the side, making a whip out of cords? But then, when Jesus sprang into action, you could say, <laughs> he overturned the money changers' tables, and he drove out all from his father's house who were not there to worship rightfully. All who were not there to worship as God, the Lord of that house, that temple, had instructed them to worship. He had given the format. He had given the exact ceremonies that were to be used. People were to come into the temple and do it God's way. They weren't to make up their own inventions. They weren't to make it a house of merchandise. But it should have been a holy place set apart for the purpose of what? To worship the Lord our God in righteousness and zeal. So Jesus' example is one example. You can also turn to Colossians. Go ahead and turn there, if you will. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. And notice verses 12 and 13. Zeal may not only take one form, as in kind of an, an outrage at wrong being done, but zeal describes also a burning desire to worship the Lord in love for Him and for others. So if you look at chapter 4, starting in verse 12, Epaphras who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea, and those in Hierapolis. So we find an example of, of a disciple, the disciple Epaphras, a brother in the faith, having a zeal, a great burden of love to do right by and to help by any means necessary 
doing all he can do, always laboring fervently for them in order that they may stand perfect, complete, lacking nothing before Christ. And that is how our worship should be. That is how our love for our brethren should be one towards another. It should be with zeal for them. We should have a burden to help others to do what God has commanded us to do and what God has commanded them to do. And another further example, the example that we will camp on a little bit tonight is found in Titus chapter 2. So turn there and we'll stay there for a while. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, starts off by, by saying this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So, why has the grace of God appeared? The grace of God has appeared so that Christ's plan will be accomplished his plan of redeeming to himself a special people, or as the King James calls them, calls us a peculiar people. That just doesn't mean odd or strange. It means a people who are set apart for what purpose? To be zealous for good works. These are the things which we must do. These are the things which we must have a zeal for. Because there is a right kind of zeal and a wrong kind of zeal. The right kind of zeal looks like Jesus in the temple. The right kind of zeal looks like Epaphras, having love and a burden, a deep burden for his brethren to stand firm in the faith. And it also looks like this, being a people who are set apart and zealous to do good, to do good to whom God commands us to do good to. And he commands us to love our neighbor, but he commands us to love our brethren especially. So we should show zeal to love others and especially to love those who are part of the family of God. Because it's by design and by the grace of God that we are a zealous people for good works. We are not zealots, as in religious zealots who are fanatics about a religion and get caught up in it and that's all they care about is just outwardly displaying their religion and enforcing it upon others, kind of like Pharisees. But we're, we're not religious zealous, zealots. However, we are those who have a zeal to see God worshipped the right way and those who have a zeal to understand how we can be people set apart to good works and helping others in that way, helping our brethren in that way. 
there is a startling lack of zeal. Because let me tell you this, the church needs zeal and those who are zealous of good works. All Christians should have a zeal for God. I, I would say all Christians do have a zeal for God. But the question is, how much zeal do we have? Have our hearts grown cold? Or is the flame of love for Christ still healthy, still burning bright in our hearts? Consider these things, brethren. Ponder them in your hearts. What is your zeal for Christ looking like today? How is your zeal? There's a startling lack of zeal, as I was saying, or we have the wrong kind of zeal for the wrong things, and I'll teach more on that in just a moment. But for now, I will give you some of my own experiences. I've been in several churches over the course of my life, and most are similar in the amount of zeal that is present in the church. You usually have a few who really want to labor for the good of the body. And I'm sure you've heard the, the old saying, 20% of the people do 80% of the work in a church. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's an old saying, but it has some truth in it. There's usually a small group of very zealous people in churches across America, and there's a surprising lack of zeal. You would think with all that we have available to us. Think about the resources on Sermon Audio or the resources in the English language. Vast amounts of commentaries, vast amounts of study Bibles and study helps, language tools all over the place and at little or no cost. And if you didn't have those books and wanted those and you went to a, a good church, they would probably have someone there who would provide you with those things at little to no cost at all. But we have so much. Why is there, a why is there not a corresponding amount of zeal in our churches? Now I'm generalizing because there are churches that you do see. Even in, in coming in, it's obvious that you meet people and there's a zeal to do good. There's a zeal for the brethren to love one another. There's a zeal to worship and lift up the name of God as holy and righteous and above every other name, above everything else in the world. There's a zeal to love God deeply in the innermost parts of the heart in some places. So in those churches that I've been in, most are similar and the, the corresponding amount of zeal reveals a problem. The lack of zeal reveals a problem. That Christians are not taking full advantage of what they've been given. And they're not really deeply studying the Word of God and deeply learning the theology and the doctrine that God has given us, the sound doctrine. Because true theology, true good learning of theology will promote zeal. It will not deaden zeal. Contrary to what some anti-intellectuals say, the more you know about God, the more you will love God. But that 
is corresponding and dependent upon you having the Spirit indwelling you. If you do not have the Spirit indwelling you, if you are not a believer, the more you know about God is the more that there are chains weighing you down and dragging you down to the depths of hell. And you will be accountable for each link in that chain of knowledge that you knew about God, but yet you continually rejected Him. And for the believer, we will be accountable for what we know about God. To, much is, to whom much is given, much shall be required. The parable of the talents teaches us this. If you're given a little bit, praise God for the little bit that you are given. And be zealous according to how you know how to be zealous. And there are believers around the world who have very little to go, they, to go off of. Very little that they have. But yet they show a remarkable zeal based upon what they have. But it should be even a, even a more plain and stark warning for those of us who sit in a church such as this. Because I know we've learned theology here. We have access to myriad of helpful resources and people who want to teach us about God's word. So we will be accountable for that. So we ought to live lives of zeal that match the truth that has been revealed to us and the truth that has been given to us and painstakingly, laboriously taught to us and preached to us. So I've witnessed that, that lack of, of zeal that I believe is explained by a sinful ignorance of God's word. But zeal for God can be found among his people. And I have witnessed this zeal as well. Let me give you an example of a time I was surprised by the zeal of God that was in the circumstances around me. I had gone off to college and I went to a godly Christian college and I was surprised when I got there how much zeal there was for God. I was taken aback by that. I, I honestly didn't expect that level of zeal. Now maybe it makes more sense when you think about the weak spiritual state that I was coming from. I was coming from a spiritual state of largely ignoring my Bible. I was a believer, but I had gone to uh, you know, public school and that had been a, a terrible influence upon me. And the communication between people in a public school system is usually that of tearing down. It's not of edifying and uplifting, but it's tearing down and cutting down, cutting remarks. It's usually not beneficial. But when I got to Bob Jones, which was the college I went to, I was taken aback by the genuineness of the people there, the Christians there. I did not know that level of zeal was, was possible. I, I was lacking wisdom. I was lacking knowledge of the Bible. And I thought, you know, Bible college will be pretty easy. I just have to, if they ask me a question, I'll just open up the Bible and I'll find it. And, you know, it, it'll be easy. But no, it wasn't. It was rigorous 
academic studies. There are Bible colleges out there that that would pass, though. That would pass the test just opening up the Bible and finding something, writing down whatever you found. Some Bible colleges, unfortunately, do not have the academic standards that others do. But even among the academic standards, the, the zeal for God was not sacrificed. And I had other experiences that revealed to me this zeal that was pretty new to me. One was the ministry class at Bob Jones. We would sing a, a song called, a hymn called Souls for Jesus. Souls for Jesus, we'll fight until we die. Souls for Jesus, this is our battle cry. Souls for Jesus. And we would sing that together and there was such zeal and camaraderie. We would have special speakers from a variety of ministries. And we went into local churches and were a part of the local churches there in the area of the college in Greenville. And we saw some godly Bible teachers. And the people in Greenville, they are very blessed to have such a high amount of godly pastors and preachers. And there's about every kind of uh, branch off of mainstream Christianity <laughs> that you could, you could ever want to know about there as well. Because where the genuine thing flourishes, there's all always going to be several categories of pretenders. But the people of Greenville will be accountable for that. That they saw such zeal for the Lord in their community and if they do not respond to it as the Lord says we should respond to that it will be condemnation to them. But there's a danger in being in a spiritual environment like that. There's a danger in being around people who are, who are zealous of good works because you may not know unless you examine yourself if you're being simply influenced by others or if it's your own zealousness arising from love for God that you have as an individual. Now it's a great thing to be able to gather together and to worship God corporately but during the week, when you're not around believers, what is your zeal then? If you're in a room full of unbelievers, do you still have zeal? Or does it fade? If you were to go to an environment like the environment at my college, and then you were to be brought back to your usual environment, would that zeal fade? So you've got to realize that sometimes we can be influenced, and it's, it's good to be influenced for, for righteousness and for zealousness by people around you. But is it your own zealousness in your own heart that you can stand upon even if everyone else apostatized? Would you have that zealousness? Do you have a deep love for God that can stand on its own? Sometimes we behave like a prodigal son. Sometimes we're comfortable with having less and less zeal in our lives, letting the flame go down, as it were. Maybe it's just the coals of the, the fire of our zeal are barely even, even burning. 
Of course, we're, we're believers. But sometimes, if we're not careful, if we're not diligent, our faith can be diminished by the things that we are choosing to do, by the sin that we allow ourselves to be comfortable with. And sometimes, like the prodigal son, it's only after we wake up when we realize how far we've gone away from the main course of being zealous with a compassion and a deep desire for doing the works that we are called to do, that we are foreordained to do. As the book of Ephesians tells us, we are foreordained to good works that God has prepared for us beforehand, for his people. But the wrong kind of zeal can lead us in a different direction. Turn over to Romans chapter 10. The book of Romans and the 10th chapter. Romans 10, and take a look at the first three verses. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So that was really the first four verses. But we find a certain kind of zeal that is an unbiblical zeal. A zeal that does not please God. This zeal is called a zeal without knowledge. They are zealous to do things for the Lord, to be busy, busybodies, if you will. They want to do things and build things and, and, and be super involved in whatever it is that they're doing for the Lord. But they're not doing it according to the knowledge of the word of God. They're not doing it according to how God has prescribed his word should be proclaimed and his works should be done, they're doing it for their own selfish gain. Or they're doing it just to, just to show off to others around them. So churches today, and many places that call themselves churches, we know are really, are really not churches in the biblical sense. And they have no business calling themselves churches. But they have a zeal to do something for God, they say. But this is a zeal that has no knowledge behind it of what would really please God. A spiritual knowledge of the heart of God. True believers have a spiritual knowledge of what God's heart is. They have the mind of Christ that helps them to please God through acting and behaving as Christ would act. Through the Spirit's help and through the grace of God. So a true zeal, 
A true zeal is contrasted from this. A true zeal knows what pleases God and does it. There are, are various, uh, various groups out there who would say that they have accomplished a lot for God. And many of them, unfortunately, will end up like the person who stands before God and says, have we not done so many things? In your name we've done these things. Have we not prophesied? Have we not spoken in tongues for you? Have we not given to the poor for you? But what does Jesus reply to them? Depart from me, I never knew you. They're not true sheep of God. They're not of his fold. They're wolves outside the camp. And they are goats that try to blend in. But a true believer can see through this. A true believer knows what real zeal looks like. They know that zeal for God doesn't always mean doing something big and flashy and getting attention. Oh, we're going to have the largest youth rally ever seen. Well, what if God doesn't want you to have the largest youth rally or use the methods you're using to draw in those young people or to use all sorts of church growth methodology that doesn't accord with a solid knowledge of the word? True zeal is always biblical. True zeal never says, well, God told me to do this. And then that contradicts what God has clearly said in his word. No, that is not true zeal. That's a false zeal. It needs to be repented of. It needs to be forsaken. And we need, if we find ourselves displaying that kind of zeal, a zeal that's not informed by the word of God, a zeal that does not know the word of God, and does not act based upon it, we need to re-examine those feelings of zeal that we have, and those actions that we're trying to express them with and say, well, what does the Bible say about this thing? We should make biblical decisions, not decisions just based on feelings alone. Feelings can be misleading. Circumstances can be misleading. We can't often guide ourselves based on circumstances alone. I think it was Jay Adams who said that circumstances are kind of like a can of sardines, but you have no can opener. What are you going to do with it? You certainly can't use the sardines for what they were intended for, for your consumption, whether you like sardines or not. So don't interpret circumstances or interpret feelings without considering what the Word of God has already clearly said. And base your love for God and your zeal for God firmly rooted in his word. But churches remain uh, full of this type of thing. We've seen, I've been in churches with Hannah before where maybe we've seen a presentation about the latest and, and greatest ministry work that that church was doing. And it was nothing more than just passing out food or beverages, and never was the gospel brought into it. Never was the righteousness of God brought up. Never was the, the souls of those people who they were being kind to. By all means, 
Be kind to people. Help them out when you can. Do good to all men as you're able. But if you don't tell them why you act the way you do, if you don't show them from the word why God has given you a deep love for all of his creatures and a want, a deep desire to, to share the gospel with all who you possibly can. If you leave that out, then you've left out the most important part and do not have true zeal. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, returning quite a bit in our Bibles tonight. I wanted to show you several examples of zeal in the Bible. And this one contrasts the zeal of one person, the Apostle Paul. And it contrasts his zeal, starting with the zeal that he had, the false zeal, to follow after uh, to follow after false things that did not benefit him spiritually. And then it shows the real zeal that he later on exhibits. So Philippians chapter 3, look at, starting in verse 3. Philippians 3, 3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted but loss for Christ. So the first part is there we see the, the false zeal of Paul. All of these things depending on, he was depending on to show his love to God before his conversion. But what does his zeal look like after his conversion? Read verse 7 once again. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus." We see his false zeal. All of his works as an unbeliever, he says that was nothing. That was worthless. But what is worth something? What is a true zeal and deep desire 
to have the love of Christ and be found standing firmly in Christ on the last day, that is it, what he's expressing in verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So what does he do? He presses toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. His heart is a flame for God. He wants to worship God righteously. He wants to, to take in all of God's word and obey it so that he may stand. But he knows it's really Christ who is in him, standing. Christ working in his life so that he may stand. And it's by the grace of Christ that he does just that and displays a true zeal. We are to fervently love God. Do not go, grow cold. Do not grow indifferent. Watch yourselves, brethren. Watch yourselves. That you don't grow cold to the things of the Lord. I'm not saying that you will lose your salvation. I'm saying you should be warmed by the love of God that you find on every page of Scripture. I'm saying don't be indifferent to the most wonderful things that you will ever hear in any book on earth. But worship and serve God with zeal. Make godly decisions. That means do what is best spiritually. Remind yourself of those wonderful things. Remind yourself of God's power. His majesty. Dwell and meditate on his holiness. That will make you zealous when you realize the burning white hot love of God for you. That he would give up his life on the cross to atone for sinners. To atone for enemies who by his grace no longer are enemies. So meditate on his holiness. Seek out the law of God. His word, his commandments, his statutes, his judgments. As the psalmist tells us over and over, delight in those things. Love those things. Seek God with a whole heart. And brethren, I exhort you. Kindle the fires of zeal for the Lord. And may the power of his grace... Stir up a righteous torch of love in the deepest part of your hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious truth of your word. And we love you. Help us to kindle that flame, to feed the fire of love for you, to not grow cold, to not grow indifferent, and uncaring towards you. I pray you would give us help. Each and every day. Especially this week. As we go forth from here. Help us. Help us to love you with zeal. And passion. Zealously seeking to do good. To all men. And especially to those. Who share our faith. And we pray. You would just give us a blessing this evening. And it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.